We are living in a social ecological crisis in which inequality within and between countries is on the rise, and climate change worsens year on year, affecting the lives of countless humans and ecosystems around the world. Business as usual means heading towards ecological collapse, and the technological solutions being put forwards are insufficient. When one looks at the roots of the issue, the pursuit of economic growth based on a system of exploitation and the domination of others emerges as a key driver fueling this fire. The recognition that men have played a protagonic role in developing, benefiting from, and upholding this growth exploitation paradigm leads us to question, what might a non-exploitative paradigm look like? What new roles might men play in bringing it into being? And what challenges might they face in the process? Welcome to the Sustainable Masculinities Podcast with your host, Pierre smith Khan. Today, we speak with Giacomo Delisa, an ecological economist and political ecologist whose work focuses on the intersections of degrowth, commoning and care. He is a research fellow at the Center for Social Studies at the University of Coimbra, Portugal, and has been advancing the political ecology agenda of the Barcelona School of Environmental Justice and Degrowth. His work includes the co-edited book titled Degrowth, a Vocabulary for a New Era, and his latest book, The Case for Degrowth, written with Susan Paulson, Yorgos Kallis, and Federico Di Maria. Hello, Giacomo. Welcome to the show. Hi, Pierre. Thank you for the invitation. Giacomo, I would like to start by um, asking you where you are right now, physically or emotionally or spiritually. Well, right now I am in my kitchen. It's the place where I'm uh, working since, uh, well, the COVID uh, spread all around. And this became the place where I eat, work and play. It's my, uh, my house is very nice, but also small. And we do many old things as a family here in this uh, 15 square meters. I'm a hectic. Uh, in Barcelona, but uh, planning a travel back to my city, Naples, in the south of Italy. So that that's where I am physically and emotionally now, in the middle of a travel, let's say. Thank you. I thought we could start this conversation by asking you a bit how you arrived to to focus your your work on these interrelated topics of degrowth, commoning, and care. And also, if you could elucidate a bit what what you mean by these terms or what these terms mean to you. Mm-hmm. Well, my, I started to be interested in degrowth since uh, I was 20 years old. Now it's 22 decades have passed already uh, or more. Um, back Back then, I was uh, an activist in, in Naples, 
working on groups interested in social and solidarity economy and above all we were trying to 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 work on critical consumption in the city and trying to map out uh, those realities that were uh, practicing um, critical consumption uh, in order to, to, to push out uh, our consumerist idols outside of some sphere of our life. That's it. Uh, how I started. So through this critical consumption, I, I came to know about different groups and people interested in the growth as a as a main umbrella to criticize this uh, consumption uh, turmoil that characterize our uh, socioeconomic system, which we live in above all in westernized society. Um, this is, let's say, my starting point to degrowth. Um, and then I, I start to connect with people, uh, organizing um, educational summer school on degrowth in south of Italy, then in the north. And then I moved to, to Barcelona and, and meet more people interested in the topic. And since 2007, now uh, 14 years, I'm, I'm working on degrowth here with uh, groups, uh, mainly groups of uh, scholars interested in the critics of growth society. Mm-hmm. But I do this in, let, let's say, uh, when, I have, when I have free time, this is not, I am an, I'm a scholar, but never my, my uh, wage came from degrowth-related uh, <laughs> research. So that's a pity, let's say. Giacomo, could you explain a bit how, because um, within within degrowth, degrowth is this big kind of umbrella term, as you mentioned, and you have a particular interest in commoning and care, and I wondered if you could speak a bit uh, to that. Yeah, the, basically, um, well, I came, I came from from again from a period of activism of activism in Naples in the same period that I was uh, was interested in critical consumption and and. And connecting with social and solidarity economy in Naples, I was also part of a social movement uh, fighting against uh, water privatization in the city. Um, again, that was the, the moment in which uh, uh, water as a commons in Naples and then in Italy uh, come to to life, let's say. Because um, much of uh, the industrialized society of Western countries, basically, water is experienced as a a good that flow down your uh, shower and, and 
and it's uh, something that is very much industrialized, uh, something that it's uh, completely obscure to you how it came to your day-by-day uh, -day needs of, of these very essential uh, goods. Good. So, um, what there is a commons was in, in this struggle more uh, political claim was not uh, really something that uh, concerned particularly um, the the idea to to directly manage uh, water, right? That is how normally has been conceived water as a commons and all many others uh, goods and services as a commons. Um, but in that time I already uh, realized uh, that uh, the, the struggle somehow was a way to transform the way in which people interact also in, in social movement and how commoning as a practices of creating the commons uh, at the, let's say um, intellectual or ideal level but also at the practical level of organizing a demonstration or, or a social movement was becoming very very much important and this is something that then decades after uh, many social movements uh, have been doing this kind of uh, transformative process and organizing around the um, um, the performativity of commoning no? as a social movement that is uh, has a lot of implication i think so basically mm, i will say that mm, the starting mm, moment uh, of this reflection coincides so degrowth and commons came together uh, in some period of uh, of activism uh, when i was around my 20s let's say, based in Naples. Then, mm, mm, of course, uh, while, while uh, this experience was always very, very important to me uh, uh, internally, um, have been interacting with, with scholar knowledge about degrowth and commons. Um, I, I would say that many of the basic intuition are the same, are still there, are still the core of my commitment. Uh, but mm, a lot of new nuances uh, added up to, to this core uh, intuition uh, and aspiration no? at the same time. So mm, caring then uh came to to my uh, direct uh, experience when when I, I when I became father um, so 11, 11 years old uh, when, when really the, the the way in which you should start to in, you, you you start to interpret at least in my experience, was like that you start interpreting the, the idea of care really change uh, a lot in your life because um, as a father 
in my case, uh, I was um, uh, experienced for the first time uh, a sense of strong responsibility towards uh, another uh, life person that really needs uh, a lot of my of my commitment, you know? and this is why um, things happen to to my life. As as you can understand already from my from my from this story of mine, uh, normally I try to to be determined by the event that happened in my life, and this is how I pursue then my my research. So. Uh, my biography tend to um, determine very much what I'm interested in uh, because I, I take the, the, the chance to reflect uh, on wo what is needed in a particular moment of my life, in a particular context, and uh, I, I then commit to, to reflect properly uh, as a scholar on, on what uh, particular contingencies my life uh, um, happened to me, no, and determined the way in which, uh, in that moment, in that particular period, uh, my interest is driven toward uh, particular uh, issues. Mm, still, if these contingencies are not uh, irrelevant they stayed with me. And this is how then all these things that happened between 20 years and 10 years ago to me are still with me, right? The reflection on degrowth or the reflection on a, a society in which uh, the ills of growth is not uh, anymore uh, at the core of the social uh, system. The, the commoning, so the way in which uh, Performing uh, dynamic that uh, interrelate you as a person with others, human and non-human, while you are uh, flourishing as a person, and then you know, the, the idea of care that of course should be always part of your life. But again, when at least to me was was like it, like like that, when uh, the asymmetrical responsibilities that you, you experience uh, in a specific relation, such as the father-children uh, uh, relation, uh, really make you the concern, okay, uh, very, very um, um, important, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and determine a lot of your uh, day, daily activities. Thank you. Giacomo, in, in one of your books um, that you co-authored um, with Susan Paulson and Federico Di Maria and Yogo Scales, um, The Case for Degrowth, that recently came out last year, you say that exploitation is a vital ingredient to growth, to economic growth. You know, and you speak of the ways in which economic growth exploits both nature and workers in order to make a surplus. Um, and I'm, I was particularly interested in a specific reconfiguration of gender relations that happened at the time that economic growth was starting. Um, 
which distinguishes between this masculine productive work and a so-called feminine reproductive work. And I wondered if you could speak to a bit more about this distinct this distinction um, as a key element that enabled economic growth to flourish. Well, okay, of course, uh, as you can imagine, um, many, many conceptualization are uh, always uh, analytical um, for a specific uh, kind of uh, interest. Uh, I mean, that many of oh, many many conceptual tools also for degrowthers are uh, somehow or- organic definition that need to be analytic in order to to figure out properly uh, uh, and sometimes didactically your your point right. Um, with, so having this as a premise. I would say that first of all, it's it's important to understand that um, when uh, we now the, the co-authors uh, um, refer to, to uh, the intrinsic relation uh, between uh, patriarchy and um, um, capitalism um, that make the exploitation of uh, the contemporary exploitation particularly important uh, is related to, to many historical facts that, um, that indeed should be uh, uh, told uh, in, in their complexity. And then when you dissect them, of course, you are doing something that uh, simplifies a little bit the history of... Mm-hmm. And also the process of exploitation, no. Uh, but in order to understand um, why why this is important, uh, why why the, the contemporary exploitation is still very very much uh, uh, entrenched with with, with the, the transformative process of uh, patriar- patriarchy. Um, has to be related to the fact that uh, growth um, as a as a as a, an idea, but also as a, a, a material forces that transform uh, the resources uh, and uh, human or human relation that we are embodied in. Uh, uh, it's very much. Um, perpetuated upon uh, in the ability to shift the cost. This is a, a concept uh, that shift the cost of life, let's say now in very general terms, to others. Okay? Mm. Uh, shifting costs has been a very important uh, concept that has been developed by an economist called William Kapp uh that has influenced very much um, ecological economics uh, as a discipline and I think uh, still is is very also important for many degrowth scholars many of, of those that for example like me come from this line of studies that is ecological economics right 
So what, what does really mean cost shifting? Cost sh- shifting is the process through which you are able to, to, to shift the cost of an activity to others. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, William Cap, for example, developed this uh, concept to describe the ability the, to be successful uh, of the business. Okay. So it was uh, trying to show that um, more a business is, uh, is able to shift the cost of their bu- of, of its business to others, socialize the cost of running its business to others, more successful this business is. Okay? Mm-hmm. So we will say that on the top of uh, uh, the economic entities, you have multinationals. So probably multinational according to this line of uh, analysis, are those businesses that are uh, more able to sh- socialize the costs of running their own business. business. And like an, an example of, of shifting the costs would, in this case would be like, you know, the chemicals that they use to create their products, they just dump them into the local river. So the costs are paid for by the local nature and all the women who are at home, who are washing the clothes and cooking the meals and making, preparing lunch for the workers that go to the factory. Uh, also, yeah, exactly. Costs yes. This is something that we, we were trying, we were um, trying to develop a little bit, but because uh, uh, William Cup was focusing on business. So normally it was referring mainly to contamination and to pollution, uh, but social costs has been, uh, uh, a very important kind of uh, analytical tool to to study m- m- many uh, implication of uh, a, a, the market economy or the capitalism. Well, let's say the market economy because social cost was a concern also for mainstream economists. So William Cap was uh, discussing with mainstream economists the, the importance of social costs. So on one side, then you have environmental economists that think uh, of social costs as, a, for example, an externality. In the case of environmental externality, you can think about contamination or pollution. Uh, but social costs, if you wish, somehow uh, health insurance where exist as a national public health system, it's social cost, no? Because the cost of unhealthy uh, people uh, shift to a process of uh, concern, of public concern through taxation and whatever. So this is another way to look at social costs, for example. Okay, But uh, also the education is the social cost of uh, economic progress, if you wish, because uh, where the cost still, where the education is mainly um, a public um, uh, concern, and you have uh, the possibility to access to education freely as a citizen, of course, this is uh, a way to shift the cost of educate people in order to be productive in the market uh, that is socialized by the market system to the public concern, right? So social cost was very much a, a, a wide kind of uh, analytical tool to look at, uh, let's say, the externalities. Then um, it's true that uh, William uh, William Cup 
uh, and then a lot of ecological economists were concentrating their attention, their warning to uh, contamination. This is how we came to develop uh, the idea of accumulation by contamination with Federico de Maria too, right? That is the way in which uh, um, business socialized their cost uh, through contamination, through pollution, socializing uh, the cost of the using of contaminants, toxics, and so on and so far. But again, as you were in, uh, already hint to, we were we have been trying to also develop this uh, uh, concept, uh, use of this conceptual tool in the realm of patriarchy, if you wish, no, uh, in the realm of uh, uh, gender gender relation. Uh, because the, pro um, the the point is that the process of cost sh shifting, I will say, it's immanent to life, basically. Okay. Um, so you and this is uh, this is in line with what William Cap was saying. So externality is not just a failure of the market, but it's immanent in the process of business activities. I would expand this idea to say that the life, uh, the, the cost-shifting process is immanent uh, to the life. Uh, what we can do now, just to simplify, uh, and not to, to simply throw out this, um, uh, this, this, this definition, is that we, we can try to minimize the socialization of our cost as a life entity. Um, indeed, for example, just to connect a little bit with care also, uh, of course, if your child come back to the school and just throw the jacket on the floor and um, uh, don't pay attention to the fact that the shoes are full of mud and start to, uh, to walk in the rooms, and they jump on the sofa, turn uh, on the mm, television. It doesn't matter that also their dress were, uh, were dirty and so on and so far. And they ask for a glass of water to the mother, to the father, while they are watching uh, immediately entering after, after entering the door and watching TV. Mm -hmm. They're shifting all these costs of their life and their enjoyment of life to, to their parents, right? Um, and this is no. Mm, sometimes are intentional, no. The way that this cost, this shifting of cost, is intentional. Sometimes are unintentional, uh, and this is why I think it's a, it's a concern of of life, and then can be useful also to understand not only what uh, Cap was warning in the market process of running a business, but also simply. In the, in the running your own life, let's say, no, and in the way in which you relate to each other, to other, to other uh, um, human and non-human uh, living being. So this this is something that uh, I will say it, uh, it's the core of my different concern uh, through the. the uh, the production, my vision, what is the growth about, what is commoning, also because commoning is a process, I will say that now, 
that is a process through which you try to minimize the shift of the cost of your life to others because you participate in doing what is needed in order to uh, to to pursue your wish your, and to accommodate your needs and to to frame your desire and so on and so far um, well, I will stop here. I'm trying to mix perhaps too much things together, but I, I think uh, in, 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 the, in, in an interview, I prefer to be uh, organic in my thought more than analytic. When I write, I try to be analytic, but when I, when I speak, I try to be organic uh, because I think organicity is what really makes sense when, when you uh, want to discuss the complexity of or, or an issue, but I can I can change and and do no 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 it's great I mean a lot of a lot of things came up for me whilst you were talking. So somehow let, let, let's because I'm try, I I was long and I was avoiding the, the, the somehow a part of your of your question related to the exploitation the particular exploitation of uh, contemporary capitalism. No, if you. Um, if you compare it to to past exploitation, let's say, no, the the, the fact is exactly the intricacy and the the, the the fact that now patriarchy and and uh, and capitalist re relation are uh, entrenched that make them uh, more problematic uh, because. Um, for sure, the, um, the relation of power related to um, market domain and related to uh, family domain, uh, social domain in which um, patriarchy was perpetrated were very much separated somehow. Or uh, they overlapped somehow, but not so fundamentally as they do. In, in contemporary society. So this, mm -hmm. this idea of exploitation uh, have been, uh, and the transformation of this exploitation that were so able to, to put together different dimensions of power uh, was very much, uh, for example, uh, described by, by Silvia Federici in, in uh, her book on, on the Caliban and Witches, uh, where she, she was trying exactly to explain how the development of capitalism was not just a, a, a model production that created a, a sphere of uh, market uh, domination between classes, but was a machine and ideology and also a mode of production uh, in material uh, condition of life that was putting together different kind of power, uh, marginalizing even more the role of women in uh, the production of well-being, in the family arrangement, uh, that uh, was existing before capitalism um, mm -hmm. developed. Huh? Because in the sphere, uh, uh, let's say, in the sphere of uh, 
of um, of the family and peasant family that characterize, let's say, most of uh, uh, Middle Ages uh, countries in Europe, for example, um, patriarchy uh, was related to um, to a dimension uh, in which women still had a very important role in terms of production of food and services for for the families. So, um, um, and and the way in which the families were working that time, the differences between production and reproduction was not uh, really uh, even an analytical concern, let's say, just to, to use the same vocabulary that I'm trying to use in this interview, was very organic. Uh, uh, the, the mode of production that period in many countries in, in Europe was very organ organically organized. Uh, while the, the, um, the development of capitalism create this necessity to, to, to create two sphere to, well, an illusion of two uh, separate sphere, one of production, which money would become, uh, uh, the magic um, tools to 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 make all the market arrangement fluid as much as is, uh, as it is possible, and then separate the family as a nuclear arrangement of uh, needs, um, completely separate from that. No, and this is uh, indeed what uh, Silvia Federici was also criticized to the more to the former uh, Marxist thought about these uh, two spheres, showing that uh, indeed uh, this was a fictitious separation uh, and was a, um, only a process through which uh, Sylvia used a, a Marxist term no, to define this process that is primitive accumulation or, or regional accumulation uh, that was perpetrated on the shoulders of women that were uh, put in the in the sphere of uh, of the private concern of family reproduction. Um, that of course was not uh, anymore so important as it was before the development of uh, the capitalist system. Um, but at the same time, still. Uh, uh, um, uh, very important in the process of exploitation. And to this exploitation uh, linked to the lack of responsibilities uh, that women respond to uh, during those periods of uh, extreme violent uh, struggle uh, that have been recorded in Europe while, while capitalism was, uh, was burning was flourishing, uh, was growing, no? and women was were on, on, on front line of this struggle because they were feeling that uh, they would have uh, they would have been part still of the process of exploitation, but their uh, voice, their call, their uh, possibility to uh, decide and to have a, um, a, a a say 
on the process of production would have been completely uh, uh, new, right? So to this kind of, um, this is the narrative that uh, Silvio Federici convincingly uh, built in her books as against this fundamental isolation, invisibilization of, of the role of women uh, that the former capitalism was perpetrating that women uh, were rebelling against. And this is why, uh, together with the, another power that was very, well, still is very important, but at that time was very determinant of the life of the people, that it was the religious uh, power that is uh, very much also, um, 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 how do you say, um, mingled together with patriarchy, uh, was developing all those narrative uh, that uh, make uh, um, uh, sensical the fact that women struggling against uh, tra economic transformation at that time were uh, witches, they were uh, possessed by magic uh, power of rebellion to the religion uh, hierarchies, to the family hierarchies, and of course to the new hierarchies emerging out of the market. This is why the exploitation is much more important nowadays because this intricacy is much more invisibilized nowadays. And still, there are many witches around, luckily for us, but uh, they are not so much visible in the process of transformation as they were back in that time, uh, in which still the exploitation was really, I agree, uh, uh, very important, but the spheres of exploitation were very much uh, delinked to each other, I would say, mm -hmm. or overlap only in a small part of your daily life. On the contrary, nowadays, all the power are stratified and they are, uh, and they, um, I would say, act upon us uh, in, in differentiated way, of course, but every moment of, uh, of, the, of the day. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up uh, Silvia Federici because that book, Caliban and the Witch, is one of my favorites, and I really hope that everybody takes the time to, to read it because it's a fantastic piece of historical work. Um, yeah, and also while she was speaking, no, it, but, but this separation of the productive and the reproductive spheres, by putting a monetary value on the productive, it also created uh, a sort of imbalance whereby productive work came to be seen as valuable and the re reproductive work came to be seen as of a lesser value, no? And that's something that kind of perpetuates into today, today's day and age. Um, and if we speak about care, for example, we see how care work is devalued, no? Because, and this is something you speak about in your chapter on care, no? In, in the degrowth vocabulary, where there are different types of care, and actually there's a gendered division um, where 
what are, what are considered masculine inactions of care are generally like taking care of something or caring about something in a very specific sense of like the public um, sphere of like, oh yes, we're taking care of the economy. Uh, we care about the state of the economy. Whereas the, the feminine component or feminine inaction of care is generally caregiving and care receiving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wondered if you could speak about a little bit about this duality and why it's problematic again, no? And I have mm-hmm. the image that you gave earlier of your kids coming home from school um, and like, throwing their stuff on the on the floor and sitting on the sofa and drinking a glass of water. Even as kids, you would generally see perhaps the boys doing that and getting away with it, mm-hmm. you know, and the girls being more careful and maybe they're the ones who put their clothes neatly in the corner and go and ask their mum if they can have a glass of water. I don't know. Um, this is not true. My, this is not true. My case. I mean, I have a son <laughs> and, a, and, and a daughter. I, I should say that my son is much more concerned to, to the, the cost that he shift than my daughter, but that's, well, that's uh, an experiential issue. Yeah. Uh, well, ju- just mm, to connect also to what we, we were saying uh, before, no? the, the point is that um, um, this transformation and this separation that, of course, again, is a, is, a, is a process of invisibilization, mainly, of the importance of reproductive activity, is related to the fact that in, in order to really make money effective, you need to... Um, to have a, a, a clear kind of uh, linear activity to, to value. Uh, so this is the, the, um, how you can value the productive work. It's related to the fact that you can really separate or almost separate each act no? and give a value to each hour of work that has a specific outcome uh, and there's a, a, a specific income, uh, and then you evaluate this hour work uh, on the market, right? But then the problem of many of reproductive activity and care activity in, in larger terms is the fact that you, first of all, you cannot really decide when uh, enact this hour of activity in terms of reproductivity because. For example, if you uh, if you think about um, uh, care needed when to unhealthy people, uh, you cannot really plan when someone can feel uh, unhealthy, right? Or can is ill. Uh, um, and this is why also uh, in order to be uh, to develop an effective system of monetary evaluation, you need to divide. Also, activities that are not always clear to um, have not in a, a clear market out there, no? because it cannot be uh, analytically defined as a hour work. Uh, it's also related to the fact that you you want to develop this idea of uh, uh, productivity. And in order to have productivity, you need to have a clear definition of what is productive 
according to which kind of hour, according to which kind of outcome, right? And many of uh, reproductive work and, and care is not related to this kind of uh, linear time of market economy, uh, but is related to more uh, bio time uh, and to the cycl cyclical life. It's the same uh, for for if you take care of um, of land of ecosystems. Uh, there are cyclical pr uh, process that are very much important uh, uh, and need to mm, to can, to be at the center of your, of your activity if you really want to respond to this uh, to mm, to the care that this bio entity an ecosystem a person a human non human uh, system needs in that time okay mm -hmm. so you uh, somehow you you need to uh, not not only to empathize uh, with these uh, specific needs, but also to uh, to tune your uh, your input to the actual necessity, no, or the, at that specific time. Um, then there is process that can avoid that can allow you to avoid this this synchrony, right? No, uh, uh, that is needed. Uh, of course, uh, a mother can can take uh, milk out of the uh, her breast with uh, the actual machine, and now is. Uh, exist uh, all through the world and then uh, disconnect uh, her body from the moment of uh, feeding the, ch the, the child, right? Mm. Uh, and the, you know, this is just an example that you can, you can do this and create somehow markets of uh, also for re reproductive activities uh, not only in your own life, but also no, no, also related to a specific um, uh, uh, ecosystem. You can transform through artificial tools uh, some some process uh, and uh, like creating. Uh, um, for water, for example, you can you can create huge, uh, huge dam, and then you can artificially think of uh, the use of water when when the productive system needed, and not when the reproductive process of the raining and flowing of water through river and so on and so far or through lake. Uh, will allow you to no? uh, to use uh, a certain amount of flows of water. So in this sense, also I'm giving this example just to clarify that uh, not all these tools or these invention are always bad. No, it's not a matter of uh, it's a matter of transform uh, transformation. It's a matter of uh, invention uh, and sometimes for for the good. No, of a person of a economic system and so on and so far. But this is uh, the problematic, no? Uh, the problematic is that until you don't have any capacity to disconnect from the cyclical process of uh, an activity, of course, you need to invisibilize 
them uh, and to make this a sphere of reproductivity. Uh, while when you are able to, to create tools that give partially the solution to this problem, then you can uh, bring this new market through process of commodification in the uh, uh, world market and make those activity part of the process of uh, marketization of life, I will say, no? Yeah, I was thinking about like the the commodification of care work, for example. No, where yeah. some a family can hire a nanny to take care of the kids or to do all the cleaning, and that kind of liberates. On the one hand, it's a positive effect for um, women who traditionally are the ones who do all that care work, and it liberates them and enables them to enter the the job market and have a, a certain sense of uh, uh, gain, a certain level of economic freedom. But on the other hand, no, we know that um, the people who take up that care work, even though it's paid, it's generally you know immigrant women, and so it reproduces this cycle of gender inequality combined with un other inequalities. Um, mm -hmm. I wondered what what you thought of that. Is, is the commodification of this invisibilized invis work a good thing? Yeah, yeah, that's the point too. Mm -hmm. The point is that when you transform a process, in this case a process of activity, uh, you transform also its quality, I will say. No? And this is why, for example, in the, in, the, um, in the chapter that you quote, we say one hour of uh, babysitting is not one hour of parenting, right? It's mm. different qualities, uh, different things. Um, the fact is indeed um, that, uh, of course, before the, um, the marketization of life with the capitalist forces, the caring was a concern of the family at large, uh, in which you know, the caring for children and elders was part of the process of maintaining a certain communities uh, and was indeed done in common no? uh, while some person was doing a, a specific tasks uh, like cooking or like gathering foods or uh, working land and so on some other part of the that system was uh, caring or playing or uh, doing the, the, the needed work for for, for, for the reproduction of, of that family or that community no and this was, of course, done, was not just one a responsibility of one specific person in the family, in the large family, and also in what uh, can, we can call the, the forced family or the forced community. Um, and it's completely different from... Um, it, it happened also during the, the, the process of... Uh, uh, of um, how to say the um, uh, the forced process of making women the responsible for the the caring and the reproduction during capitalism, right? Before the last fifty years, in which then women start to enter in in the market to uh, well 
massively, of course, before there were uh, uh, the presence of women and children also in the in the uh, in the in the labor market, but massively as we uh, uh, experienced in the last decades now. Uh, this process of uh, um, collective caring of um, elder or children was still there, uh, but the, uh, start to become more and more complicated when uh, um, most of the women part of that family start to enter in the market, right? Um, and this is why... Um, this has also been defined as a, the, no, the, the, the crisis of care in the sense of uh, there was still a need out of there of giving care uh, with bodies and feelings, with concrete bodies and concrete feelings, uh, but these concrete bodies and feelings were out in the labor market to, to, to gain their own salary and they also process of emancipation through other kind of uh, patriarchal uh, dimension, right? So that this still was there, and, and it has been working, uh, as you uh, as you also said, also because basically uh, immigration, uh, women immigration in in uh, in westernized uh, uh, society. Uh, allowed uh, many women just to shift the cost of the patriarchy that submit this responsibility to them to other women, so to, to the immigrant women uh, along the, the the chain of caring, worldwide chain caring, right? Uh, because as we know, then these people they move in in. Uh, in countries and, and caring for houses and uh, elderly and children of uh, some families, of course, are leaving their family, their children, and their elderly uh, back uh, in the countries that they were forced to leave. So this is, of course, has been uh, very much discussed. Uh, somehow, one of the proposition. Again, also Silva Federici have been writing about that, uh, as other many other feminists, uh, on, on the process of, and on the need of uh, um, recommonifying this process, no? to make this again a concern of a collectivity and not only of a specific women. No? Commoning the care has been uh, one of uh, uh, the solution that somehow has been uh, pushed further to respond to the crisis of care, okay? And this is, for example, uh, this is a shift of from uh, what uh, what has been called the the forced community somehow uh, sometimes to the intentional community. No? Uh, this is the case. The case of um, I've been I've been part of. Uh, care children groups, no? that is a process in which you try to create this intentional community in the sense that you intentionally are looking for people that have the same kind of concern of you, the same kind of 
perspective on what is uh, what does uh, care means and so on and so forth, and you come together intentionally to to respond to a necessity, right? And this has been a process of commoning, caring for children in many many cities, uh, where indeed many families were, uh, in which both partners were obliged to work um, for a salary, uh, were experiencing. No? Uh, but again, still, this emancipatory project uh, have face specific problem if the partner for example are men and women because of the political economy of capitalist patriarchy uh, uh, create uh, the market with an higher salary for a man and a lower salary for women normally also in this emancipatory process uh, you ended up reproducing what the structure of the political economy, labor market, forced to you, and so internally you you discuss with your partner. So what's going to be sacrificed, no, in order to make those shifts with the intentional community. Normally, the family say, okay, if your salary is higher, perhaps it's better than I do, and this is I do. Normally, is a woman. This is then how also in this process uh, sometimes uh, or. Oh, we can say too often still, uh, the gendered relation to care is is uh, again and again perpetrated. Mm-hmm. Mm. And th- this is also very important. Just to 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 say something about the the the, the framework that you were mentioning of John Toronto that um, up to now I have not mentioned her. Uh, because contrary, I, I came from also a, a kind of uh, Marxian uh, no, epistemology, so I, I am more, uh, I'm closer to, to, to Marxist feminists, let's say, uh, that they've already quoted. And on the contrary, Toronto uh, for sure uh, come from more liberal kind of epistemology, but I think she is very. Uh, good in developing this kind of uh, framework uh, because she offers us uh, a framework in which you can analyze uh, an analytical framework that allows you to to analyze different systems and the way in which different kind of cares because care is a complex process uh, different kind of care uh, are uh, attached to a specific kind of uh, groups, okay. So in this sense, uh, she has been able to to develop uh, an idea, a framework that still can say, also in this system that is very uh, problematic, is very unequal, is very patriarchal. We can speak about care, but we can show that uh, some specific kind of care is. Uh, mainly a responsibility of group of people that have a specific power. This is why caring about and taking care. So um, the framing and the definition, the measure to face a problem is mainly in hand of the man. Uh, and then caregiving. So the actual bodies and the actual action and performativity of giving care uh, is still uh, very much uh, a responsibility of women. And uh, unfortunately, receiving care still 
um, many men are not uh, prepared to, to receive care, no? to recognize the care that they receive. It's that's still why care receiving is a sphere of of women, no? This is very important because an analytical tool is really necessary if you want to uh, to 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 be clear on how then the the, the network of power uh, is enacted through different process uh, different processes um, social political and economic processes. Giacomo, I'm aware that we're reaching the end of our conversation. And before saying goodbye, um, I wanted to ask you how you see the future of men and masculinities in a degrowth future society. Um, and specifically looking at the, the way that men will have to um, the kind of work that needs to be done in order to recognize the positions of power and privilege that we're in. And here I see many parallels with um, with degrowth and the way in which it's hard at times to communicate degrowth uh, to politicians, for example, or to put it on a political platform. It's a hard sell. Um, and in a similar sense, um, I wonder how we might speak to men Um in order to to facilitate this um, standing down from power and privilege. Um, and yeah, curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, indeed. I mean, just to come back to the, the first main concept that, that uh, I have uh, presented at the beginning of this interview that still is at the core of all my reasoning. This is about cost shifting, right? So, uh, mas um, men have been uh, legitimized through historical process of power and repression to shift the cost of their uh, uh, reproduction and production of their life towards women. Okay, uh, and we are, we of course am, are embedded, and we also embody these values. Um, and and to, in, so for me, transformation towards a different masculinity is a transformation towards a, a person, a man that not simply recognize all the, sh the costs that uh, his uh, own needs, uh, desire and wishes shift to others and mainly women, but also to avoid uh, some costs or to come on to commoning some of this uh, activity to minimize the shifting of the cost uh, need to be taught, no? Uh, but again, sometimes some of the, those uh, costs are not uh, are not well um, as we um, embodied them. Sometimes we even don't are aware of it, so we don't have a, a clear conscious of it. It's a long process, of course, uh, also because um, we know that to unlearn what we have been learning because we were embodied in specific process is um, 
the most complicated mm, transformative process that we can do. No? Uh, Gregory Betson, for example, in uh, Steps Towards an Ecology of Mind, discuss a lot of uh, also of this and how um, the most complicated process in a, in a person, in a society, in a community uh, is exactly the, the unlearning process. So we have to unlearn uh, many uh, action that uh, um, consciously un and unconsciously shift the cost of our life and our desire to us. This is very much difficult, but it's also a, a daily training that uh, can can be visibilized without specific aggression, let's say, uh, uh, day by day, of course. Cannot, cannot, cannot simply be taught because, uh, or cannot be simply make uh, conscious and that's it, right? Because still, even, even when you are conscious of something is bad, you still, because of uh, the performativity uh, that we embodied, we could even perpetuate that kind of uh, process. So the, uh, at, at the same time, as you said, shifting the, the, the idea from a gross society to a degrowth society is the, the, the same kind of challenge. It's a unlearn the idols and the notion uh, or what can be good for a for for a human being, no? Um, mm. And in this case, in relation to uh, in the case of masculinity towards uh, other genders, no? Um, you can do through a process of again of consciousness, consciously, consciously. Um, make them visible, but at the same time through a process of daily um, error and, 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 and practices that uh, can allow this transformative uh, happen uh, smoothly somehow. No, um, but uh, again, it's not so easy. This is why. Uh, I also gave the example of my children entering the, in the house. Um, of course, you can, as a parent, you can make them uh, aware of the fact that all those things that they are not doing, that are creating cost for the organization of the life in the house, uh, um, but will not be enough because of the performativity of their own daily practices that they also experience in other families, in other contexts, no? in which there are other people that uh, uh, pay the cost that they are creating, that for them became difficult to, 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 minimize, to minimize it. No? Uh, um, and also to understand that sometimes could be like a reciprocal kind of uh, relation. I think uh, again, and this is perhaps where I, I would like to finish this reflection is about uh, the fact that you cannot uh, um, delete the process of uh, shifting the cost. So for me, it's, uh, it's an immanent characteristic of life. So sometimes the, the reciprocal 
uh, activity also it's very important because we can relieve from the concern of minimizing the cost that is a very rational process that will make us the very prototype of capitalist accumulation i will say the rationalist kind of man uh, but to think uh, in mutual way no sometimes they will enter and throw away the jacket and make dirty everything and then that will clean and sometimes i will do the same and they will clean for me like um because sometimes it's also nice to no not to really always uh, sometimes to relieve from this tremendous uh, containment that uh, the minimization of cost would uh, would produce no? uh, that is also sometimes the, this idea of uh, that is attached to to the growth no the growth sometimes is a uh, very much uh, criticized exactly because is not trying to go beyond the very core anthropological subject of uh, rationality and contentious of the capitalist system that indeed is based on you know a, a specific kind of utilitarian logic but to make this logic even um, stronger right um and, and and to make the, the, the this subject even more utilitarian even more restrictive even more um uh, rational because uh, uh, everything that will not be really being able to calculate where, where the cost of your life are shift and to whom and so on and so far then uh, you are failing oh uh, you are um, you're an asshole finally no uh, frankly but on the contrary we should try to to think of a more uh, mutual way to deal with uh, uh, this um, this uh, immediate uh, and linked process of creating costs to others when uh, we are living to others of course human non human no so this reciprocity should have been taught also in, uh, relating to other species and this is a very much uh, more complex issue then this podcast was made possible by the junior research fellowship at the Zagreb Institute for Political Ecology we hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you next time on the Sustainable Masculinities podcast. <laughs>